0: That was excellent. I like some of those chords. I think you need to be up front playing more often. That was lovely. Well, you heard me mention about um, roller coasters, and I think I've mentioned that to you before, or as my wife calls them, rolly coasters. But that's another sermon illustration for another time. Never liked roller coasters. So we moved to Orlando in 2006 and lived there 10 years. Well, of course, that's the land of Disney. I lived six miles from Disney. I I lived in the town of Celebration, which is the town that Disney built. I worked at Celebration Health Hospital as the chaplain, and I pastored the Celebration Seventh-day Adventist church, so I should have been Disney-fied and loving every minute of it. And in the 10 years that I was there, I think I went to each one of the parks one time and never once paid for it. If you like work the marathon, they give you a free ticket and somebody slipped me a couple tickets. But anyway, our very first park that we went to there was Universal and Islands of Adventure. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Islands of Adventure. I disliked it very much because it's concrete and there's roller coasters. So they took me on this thing called, I don't know what the official name, it was Spider-Man. And it's one of these virtual rides where you wear like 3D glasses and you're in a car and it's moving around, but then there's objects jumping around, but they're really not there. You're only seeing them because of the glasses. Like most of my life, it's an illusion. And it just appears to be there. But I know that this car is gonna move a lot because they got me buckled into it. So I don't trust any of these things anyway. So I'm with Vonnie and I think Adam and my niece, Gina, and somehow they go, come on, this is gonna be fine. So we get in this thing and it never leaves the ground. It's just jerking and turning and you turn here and Spider-Man jumps out and the Green Goblin and all these things, you know. So at the end of it, they've taken pictures of you and then you go look at the pictures and of course they want you to buy the pictures and then people always try and take pictures of the picture so that you don't have to pay for it. Well, we didn't buy the pictures. Of course I was scared the entire time I rode this thing and everybody else is having a great time. But I went and looked at the picture that they had taken of us that they wanted us to buy. And there's Adam and Gina and Vonnie, all just like having a good time. And there's me gripping the bar of this thing so tight, my hands are white from squeezing and it's not even left the ground. I don't trust these things. It's like it's a roller coaster, you see. And I have, I've ridden Scooby-Doo, like I told in that thing, which was a kid one. And one time Vonnie tricked me into going on Space Mountain at Disneyland telling me, oh, it's dark and you won't notice anything in there, so just ride it. And we go up and it's turning and then she goes, oh, that's the worst. And I go, shut up, just shut up. (laughs) I'm just hanging on this thing, hating every moment of life. And that's the way life is sometimes. Life is like a roller coaster, isn't it? It goes up, it goes down, it turns, it twists, It plummets. The thing I hate most about roller coasters, there's one at, I don't even know if it's still there, I assume it is, it's called Aerosmith, and it's at Hollywood Studios. And the thing, right as you take off, of course, I didn't write it, I held everybody's stuff while they wrote it, the first thing it does is it climbs like this. And I always, on Scooby-Doo, I remember that. I hated that. And that's the way life is. Sometimes you're just like struggling, 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 struggling. And you get up there and then it's just like there's this moment where everything looks beautiful and you're looking around and then there's just this horrible feeling of... And then it's twisting and turning. And then at the end, people have either vomited all over themselves or urinated on themselves or they want to get back in line to do it again. Like, you're crazy. I I saw somebody posted on Facebook yesterday. They were at uh, Harry Potter Land or no, Avatar, whatever that is. They waited four hours to get on this ride. I'm not waiting four hours for anything except the reuniting of the Beatles or the coming of Jesus. I'm sorry. That's it. Four hours in Orlando heat to ride a two-minute ride. Where are our priorities, peoples? But maybe you feel like your life is like a roller coaster. There's highs that make you very high. I don't mean drug high, but you're just very high. You're elated and you feel like, oh, isn't life wonderful? And then there's moments, it might be a health uh, scare or something like that, a car accident, whatever it is, and all at once your life just plummets. And then there's struggles to get back to the top again. You feel exhausted, you feel depressed, you feel lonely, you you feel frozen with fear. And then there'll be somebody who, with all good intentions, will tell you, you know, just trust God. Just trust God in the middle of it. And even though in your mind, or maybe it's in your heart, I'm not sure, you know that that's true. It doesn't feel true. I mean, the Bible might say it. You've heard it at church. The pastor would pat you on the back and say it. Your friends say it, and they all mean it, and it is true. But in your heart, there's like this terror or this loneliness, or this emptiness, whatever it is that your life has presented before you, and you're like, why? Why, God? Why is this happening? Why am I in this roller coaster thing that's happening? Well, as we go through reading the Bible in a year, we come to week 28, so we're over halfway done, in the book that's in the first listing of this one, which I'm determined to preach on the book, which is in the first one, is Habakkuk. I don't think I've ever met anybody named Habakkuk. It's even kind of odd to say. Does anybody know anybody named Habakkuk? I've never met one. Habakkuk was one of the minor prophets. There was 12 minor prophets. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They're called the minor prophets, not because they were less important, but because their writings were smaller. You had the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, maybe Daniel, I can't remember if he's considered, but they had 12 minor prophets. They had small books. And so we don't know a lot about Habakkuk. There's really nothing known about Habakkuk. He's only mentioned twice in the entire Bible, and it's in his own book. In verse, chapter 1, verse 1, and in chapter 3, verse 1, it says Habakkuk the prophet. That's all we know about him. We don't know about his hometown. Usually it says from so-and-so, of uh, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. It doesn't say anything about Habakkuk. This is all we know about him. But one of the more interesting things about him is if you know anything about the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were found in Israel in 1947, a shepherd stumbled upon this cave, and when they went in the cave, they found all of these jars full of hidden uh, writings that this community had locked away and stored away. So the first of the seven Dead Sea Scrolls have found, the very first one was Habakkuk. So it must have been in a prominent book of this community where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Habakkuk's only three chapters long. In chapter 1, he questions the fairness of God. Is it really fair how those who are evil can win over the righteous? That's essentially what he asks. In chapter 2, it's God responding to Habakkuk and saying that the wicked will be punished eventually. And in chapter 3, Habakkuk realizes who God is, and his chapter 3 is a prayer that ends with the verses that Gabriel read so beautifully, I might add, today. So it starts out like this, Habakkuk 1.1. 1, 1. I'm, I'm just reading to you today. This isn't... There'll be a time where I'm going to tell you to turn. You can turn if you want, but this isn't where I'm telling you to turn. Habakkuk 1.1-4 1, 1 says the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. He looks around at everything and says, Lord, where are you? Where are you in the midst of this world? And it says that it was the oracle that Habakkuk saw. So I had to look up that word oracle. And it means, uh, the King James actually says the burden that, or, that Habakkuk saw. It, it's, a, it's a pronouncement, but it's a heavy pronouncement. An oracle is some message you really don't want to give, but you're compelled to give it. So Habakkuk looks around and he says, what's going on in the world? All around me I see evil. All around me I see trouble. And where are you, God? When are you going to right these wrongs? Well, that sounds like something somebody is saying right now in the condition of our world. So the book of Habakkuk is a record of a one-on-one conversation between the prophet, Habakkuk, and God. And in this conversation and in the prayer, Habakkuk questions God. The words he uses seem angry, frustrated. He complains to God because of all the violence, the unfairness of the world. But in Habakkuk's mind, the worst part is... Was that the Lord didn't seem to be doing anything about it? It wasn't bad enough that there was just bad stuff happening, but he couldn't see God doing anything to take care of it. And so he says, Well, how long, O Lord? How long must I call for help and you don't listen? Verse 1. And where is the Lord? Was the Lord going to just let this wickedness come? Get away with all this. All these faithful followers are going to have to suffer. Lord, why is there so much injustice? Why is there so much pain? Why does the evil and the wicked seem to prosper so much? These are the questions that the world is asking. I think that probably the number one question that we as a church or as a body of believers need to be able to answer or struggle with is, why is there suffering? That is the question, in my mind, that the world needs to have some sort of answer. Now, I don't have an answer that's going to satisfy everybody. I'm just saying, that is the question. And then God answers him. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Look among the nations, this is God talking, Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded, For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. That sounds beautiful. It sounds like God's going to do this great thing. And then he goes on and he says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's the enemy. I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. So God says, well, you want to see something happen? I'm going to show you that something's going to happen. I'm going to bring some enemies in, and they're going to ride down on you, and they're going to take everything you have. That's God's answer to Habakkuk. And Habakkuk doesn't understand it, and he says, God, why are you going to send a group of people who are more wicked, more violent, more perverted than we are to destroy us. Why are you sending the wicked to destroy your people? He doesn't understand. I wouldn't understand that either. As I read it, I don't understand it even now. And maybe there have been times in your own life when you've prayed and you found it difficult to understand God's answer to your prayers. There are times when you have prayed when you have an idea fixed in your mind about how God should answer a prayer, why wouldn't God answer it like this? You've reasoned it out. You've convinced yourself that there is an answer. And if you pray for that, God's going to give you that answer because it makes perfect sense to you. And in the end, you pray the opposite of what Jesus prayed. And you say, but Lord, my will, not your will, be done. So if you could answer this according to the way I think it should go, We'd all get along a lot better, Lord. Just answer my prayer, but answer it the way that I feel you should. Chapter 2, Habakkuk complains again. God answers him again. Now you can open your Bible with me. I know you've been itching to, if you could open your Bible to Habakkuk chapter 2. Is it okay to read the Minor Prophets in church today? Habakkuk chapter 2. And I will give somebody $100 if they have a baby and name it Habakkuk. So whoever's thinking about having a baby, this is your way to get a discount on that baby. We'll call him Habi or something. Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. The Lord answered me. So this is after his second complaint. And this is what Habakkuk says. The Lord answered me. So now what I'm going to read is God speaking to Habakkuk. And he says, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. See, they had iPads back then. Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. That's a little oddly worded. So here it is in the New Living Translation, which is an easier to understand translation. Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. For it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. That last verse you should recognize in some way because it's used three times in the New Testament by Paul. Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. The righteous shall live by faith. That was the answer that God gave to Habakkuk. Habakkuk says, I don't understand any of this. And God says, well, I got this vision going on. It's for the end of time. And until that time, here's how you should live. The righteous shall live by faith. He says, you need to wait. You need to be patient. And you need to trust me. The Lord was aware of everything taking place, and he would deal with it in his own time and in his own way. And Habakkuk and all of the believers at that time, and you and I and all the believers at this time need to remember this verse. The righteous shall live by faith. Is my mic going out or is that me that's drifting in and out? The righteous shall live by faith. God calls His people to live by faith, and that means to trust Him. And that is the Lord's answer to our complaints as well. Wait, be patient, and trust Him. Are you satisfied with that answer? I'm not particularly satisfied with it, but that is what He says. Aren't there times when you hear the answers that the Bible says or that the Lord says, and you think that is not good enough? And all I can tell you is, sorry. I mean, accept it. Keep looking. Keep studying. Look for something else. Deal with it. Struggle with it. Put it on the shelf in your mind so you can get more clarity on it, so you can get a little bit more peace about it, as some people say. But if you're going to accept what the Bible says, then the struggle is to find the answers to your questions in the Bible. And when you find them, to struggle with what it says and not what you want it to say and not what you're going to turn to make it to say. Like people say, well, I think the Lord wants me to be happy and I'm sure he wants me to have a lot of money. Find me that verse. I know there's a lot of prosperity preachers out there who said that God wants you to have a lot of money, but generally, stepping on my own toes here, the only one who has the money is the preacher. I don't have to worry about that. I'm a poor, humble man and I'm very proud of it. Is that an alarm or a baby? You see, faithfulness to God. It means... Okay, (laughs) I thought that was like a fire alarm out in the hall. I'm like, well, run for your life! That's all right. I, I really did think it was a fire alarm out in the hall. Faithfulness to God means trusting Him no matter what Part of the roller coaster ride you are on. Because it's real easy to, when you're at the top of the roller coaster, go, wow, this is beautiful. And it is. So enjoy that. But faithfulness to God, trusting who God is, trusting his perfect plan, trusting his provision, trusting his presence, trusting in his power, that when the roller coaster is straining to get to the top, you got to trust God. When the the roller coaster has reached its peak and you can see for everything, trust God then. When it descends into a rage and a fury of chaos, you trust God then. When it twists and it does a loop-de-loop and you vomit up, trust God then. When it pulls up to the top again and you don't think you can go through this again, trust God then. When it roars down one more time and you feel like you're going to give up, Trust God then. When it stops and it seems to be over and there is calm, trust God then. When you must decide, are you going to get back on? Are you going to get in line again? Are you going to rest a while? Trust God then. Be faithful to God. Be steadfast in your faith. Wherever you are on the roller coaster ride of life, live by faith. Because the righteous... Those saved by relationship with Jesus Christ. The righteous shall live by their faith. It's not talking about at the end of time, the righteous are going to be the ones who live, even though that's true. It's saying in context, the righteous, those saved, will live here and now in faith. That no matter what happens, no matter what you see around you, no matter the ups and downs and the twists and turns of your life, you will have faith in God. And I love at the end of chapter 2, there's a little song that goes along with with this. It's one of those things that people play. They used to play it at one of the churches when the the elders would come out and kneel. It's called... uh, The Lord is in his holy temple, I think. Do you know that one? Anyway, chapter 2, verse 20. You see, at the end of all this, Habakkuk says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So at the end of all this, God has explained himself, And Habakkuk still has his complaints, and life is still messed up, but at the end of it, he has seen God, he has heard God, and it silences him. And so ultimately, that is the response to God. It's to come before him with nothing, with silence. And then you you praise him, but to be silent before God is a form of worship. And then in chapter 3, because he has seen God, mine labels it Habakkuk's prayer. And at the end of all these ponderings, God is there. And in chapter 3, you see this shift of emotion. The questions are gone. And Habakkuk rejoices in God's goodness. Read chapter 3. It's this beautiful prayer of blessing. He's moved from this place of anger and confusion to a place of faith and trust. His perplexity has been replaced with praise. His confusion has been replaced with confidence. His worry has been replaced with worship. His fear has been replaced with faith. His strength is renewed. There's a joy in his heart and his faith is increased because he has heard God say to him, the righteous shall live by faith. So if you are alive, and you have entered into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have accepted his sacrifice and claimed his blood on your sins, then you are biblically considered righteous. And the righteous shall live by faith. So no matter where you are in the roller coaster, if you're waiting in a four-hour line and you can't see how you're ever going to get on this thing, or you're on it and it's climbing, or you're dipping around whatever's going on with you, live by your faith in the righteous one who makes you righteous. So that at the end of this, in closing, Habakkuk says, like my young friend Gabriel read, one of my favorite verses Or group of verses. Though the fig tree should not blossom, meaning if the tree that's supposed to give me fruit doesn't give me fruit, nor fruit beyond the vine. So the grapes aren't giving me what they're supposed to give me either. The produce of the olives fail. I don't have any olives either. And the fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut "...off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls." In other words, this man has got nothing. He has no food. All the trees that he's planted, the figs, the grapes, the olives, his herds, everything, he's got nothing. Even if I've got nothing, he says. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation." God the Lord is my strength and he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places because the righteous shall live by faith. And then in closing it says, to the choir master with stringed instruments. This was a song he wrote. Chapter 3 is a song of praise. I've seen the way the world is. I don't understand it. God says he's going to Deal with it in a way I don't understand, but he's told me the righteous shall live by faith. So even though I got no fruit, even though I got nothing going on, if that's what happens in my life, yet I will trust him, yet I will praise him, yet I will live for him. Trust and obey is another way of saying the righteous shall live by faith. You trust, and then because of that, you live your life according to that trust. So may this week you be strong in your faith, or if you're weak in your faith, may you cling to the hand of a strong Savior. May your home be happy. May your loved ones be healthy and safe. May the food that you eat be sweet and nutritious. May your pockets be full of money if you need it. May all go well. But even if it doesn't, may your faith be strong. Especially to my friend Omar, God bless you. April and Joseph tomorrow, God bless you. Anybody else getting married here? We've got a baptism in two weeks. Ms. McKenzie's going to be baptized. Amen to that. So I won't see you next week, so pray for Sertia as she writes her sermon. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. May we trust and obey. May the righteous live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.